Hello and welcome to CA Conversations. I'm here today with Anthony Ferris and Nick Nelson. They're going to be discussing utilizing technology to connect with our audience in galleries and museums. Anthony Ferris is an artist, curator, and instructor at North Dakota State University in Fargo. And Nick Nelson is the director of the Springfield Art Museum in Springfield, Missouri. And without any further ado, I'm gonna hand the conversation over to these two. Hello, Nick. This is Anthony. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. So just had a quick question, just sort of to build a foundation on. I was curious how you define technology. You know, I, I, I take a, a pretty broad uh, definition. I think uh, uh, technology is anything that, uh, that we sort of create, any sort of tool. So uh, anything from a, a shovel to some... Uh, you know, app or, or, or uh, electronic device or network or anything, I think. So I, I take a pretty broad view of technology. So do you view it within the context of what's sort of available to the consumer? Or uh, what about technology that's sort of uh, being sort of developed that may be outside of the reach of traditional consumer? So I really think about technology uh, first from the point of view of the end, if it's end use or the goal uh, that you're trying to achieve through its use. Um, so I've never really thought about it in those terms of, of consume, like what's available uh, and what's outside of that. So because I guess what I'm thinking about is uh, not necessarily how you define technology, but how you, you sort of define it within your space. And that if we're going to have a viewer come into a museum or a gallery, we want the technology to be relatively user-friendly, and we want it to be something that, that um, may not necessarily shock them, may surprise them, but that they can recognize. And so like a new technology may be something that is outside of that, that realm. And I think I, get, no, I think I get what you're saying, because the one issue that we all, that I, when I started working in uh, museums and galleries and, and Work at thinking about technology and how it's used. The one thing I really didn't understand and didn't really get was this barrier for adoption. The, that sort of adoption barrier. So, in other words, you can um, you can come up with a te with some tech th some tech solution, but ultimately, no matter how elegant or how um, clever it is, if somebody's not willing to take the steps to use it, it really doesn't doesn't matter so you i think what this idea of meeting people where they are and the familiarity of it and making it easy to use so it's not just user friendly but easy to adopt i should say is uh really really important um and something that we think about because uh, we had i've had lots of failures where you have an app or you have some sort of uh thing that, you know, people are just not ready to um, take that leap. Well, what do you think that the audience expectation is within a museum or a gallery for technology? I, I think the, the, I think right now, I think it's, um, I think it's really expected. And I think it, people want to be wowed and they want to have this sort of novelty factor where they come in and there's, you know, some sort of gizmo or some sort of thing, interactive device that they can use and it's cool and it's neat um, uh, and it's fun. And I think that's sort of the expectation. Um, I think that 
the way we think about it here is uh, we need to go beyond that and really try to think about how the technology is relevant and whether or not it's actually necessary. And um, so hopefully it, it, they're walking away uh, having had some ex experience of value that, that um, furthers our interpretive goals. And if that, that technology should be a part of that and not just about a, a kind of a cool gizmo that you can come in and, and, uh, and, and see. But I think people, one of the challenges with that, uh, with that, the attitude we've adopted is I do think people expect to see something really cool and, uh, you know, different and, uh, and clever when they, when they come in and, and inter and interact with technology in the space. So when I'm thinking about, um, where I was as a curator or where I was as an art viewer 15 years ago, it just seems a lot different. Uh, going into a museum or a, a gallery uh, and sort of recognizing and um, interacting with technology. What what was your experience like 15 years ago? I'm sort of trying to contextualize how things have changed because things change so fast, but it also just becomes so natural. And so I'm just wondering if there's something that people have lost or gained from this experience of technology. Well, I think 15 years ago is like a, I mean, that might as, you might as well be talking about like, uh, you know, a thousand years ago when it comes to, um, to technology and like, how, like you know, uh, so I think, I think a lot has changed. I think, um, uh, I think, it, 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 I think that a couple of things have happened. I mean, the, just the, how, Technology's everywhere. It's in your phone. It's in your pocket. You know, it's like the, these things are, are just absolutely, uh, they're all over the place where they weren't, you know, back um, 15 years ago. When was that? When were smartphones, when did smartphones become a thing? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it seems like they've always been here. You know, <laughs> you know? no, they haven't. But I think about uh, one of the things that has been key has been how technology has created an environment where there's a lot of competition for attention and for, uh, for people's time. Um, you think about the shift in how people watch uh, television or movies, you know, before uh, Netflix or, uh, you know, you would go to the, the, actually go to the movies or you would go to Blockbuster somewhere and uh, rent a movie and, um, there, because it's so available, you know, the you know, content is so available um, and it's so personally available. So in other words, you can sit at your house and watch Netflix. You don't have to leave your house. So I think, I think that that has really shaped the way at least museums have operated because they set, they're suddenly competing against the, the sort of the convenience of, of sitting at home and being entertained rather than stepping out out of your house and going to a place and looking at an object. So I think um, when I think about like 15 years ago to now, I think about, uh, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of what's what you see in galleries is it's not just it's not just driven by uh, in museums and galleries, it's not just driven by uh, 
by the the use of these things as interpretive uh, tools, but also just like you got to come up with some kind of crazy, uh, interesting experience to compete with people staying at home and watching Netflix. So I think there's a on every level, it's it's had an impact on uh, on the experience for good or for ill. You know, hopefully we're making decisions based on our uh, on on uh, our uh, uh, sort of interpretation. You know how we're we're providing an educational and interpretive experience and not on just, you know, I need some gimmick to get people in the door. But I mean, I, I think realistically, you have to recognize that that's part of the, the, the way that the, the environment has shifted and changed. Yeah, I think one of the major difficulties that I don't know if there's an answer to this, but is how knowing that the technology that you're using or the approach that you're using is actually meaningful and, and relevant uh, when there's no research specifically out there for utilizing that material. Um, and then I also think about this question of um, teaching college students, their experience and growing up with the internet and growing up with a lot of technologies and uh, social media that I may not necessarily know about until uh, it becomes uncool. <laughs> Too late. You don't. You learn about it when it comes too late, right? <laughs> right. Is how can I uh, continue to um, keep up with that and remain relevant? I, you know, I don't think you can. And I think that's one thing that we're really thinking about and trying to figure out is like, what is the what is the gallery and the museum's role in this new this new environment? And um, you know, I don't. I'm not want to sound like a luddite or something, but you know, it's like there are a couple ways to think about it. You know, it could be that 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 museums and galleries are at the forefront of it and uh, sort of on the bleeding edge of of how technology creates experience, or it could you could go the other way and say, well, maybe the museum is the refuge, the place where you just have to look at a a piece of clay that's been shaped and fired and is kind of sitting in a case and you have to interact with an object and maybe that's maybe that's the role you know you have you, you know you have an object in front of you and you don't have a you don't have a, any sort of media to interpret it through and you just have to confront an object and maybe it's a little bit of both but uh, I think that, uh, or maybe maybe the the museum a museum can exist with both of those sort of attitudes. I think it's just a matter of appropriateness and um, and uh, trying to figure out uh, who you are as an institution and um, what your audience needs are and um, kind of kind of approaching it that way. But that's a that's a conversation that we have. It's like, do we get on that hamster wheel and try to do a Snapchat thing um, or something similar? Or Well, I was just going to sort of define um, um, who, who we are and what audience we do serve, because I think that there is a difference between the museum and, and our gallery. So I actually run a gallery in a student union. So my audience is interdisciplinary students, not necessarily a lot of public. Uh, we do have... Um, parents, friends, um, and uh, um, we do have, uh, when we have visiting artists come in, a fair amount of uh, uh, community members, but it's not necessarily 
specifically for the wider public within um, within our community. And so I'm wondering if, uh, um, and we're a gallery and we have exhibitions every month. And so things change so fast uh, that we do try to utilize technology and we are constantly exploring uh, new media all the time. Um, what's the difference between our gallery and maybe your museum? Well, I think I think there are big differences, and I think the um, the like who you serve. Where um, a large population center in a fairly rural part of Missouri, so we serve pretty much all of southern Missouri. We're the only um, AM accredited museum in our in our area, so you'd have to travel to St. Louis or uh, Kansas City or Bentonville to to experience a museum that's uh, larger than ours or at least as large as ours and with the collection that with the with the the exhibits we're able to get in and that sort of thing so um we serve a very uh, we serve we're kind of serve everybody really and a lot of times these are first-time museum visitors um you know uh it's it's a it's it's just a range we do have a lot of young people that visit we've done some studies of uh visitor studies and find that um, the majority of people are under 40 uh, who visit and they they generally are from uh, from our from that southern Missouri area um, so uh, when when we're thinking about uh, when we're thinking about our audience um, we have to we have to really have we, we have to keep it pretty open just because of the the scope of who we serve you know we're not as focused um as uh as what you have there you know and i can see where like if you have students that are that are um a lot of you know nowadays i imagine most of them are digital natives they're coming in they're uh they're going to be really interested in that and it's a great way to um to connect with people especially if you have monthly exhibits our exhibit schedule is much slower um yeah, and in fact, we we have parts of our permanent collection we leave on for up for uh, extended periods so that we can program around those pieces. Uh, so, uh, so I think there are a lot of differences, and I think that really shapes the your attitude towards uh, te the different attitudes towards tech in in the gallery. Um, and we've experimented quite a bit with it. We did an alternate reality game a couple years ago that was a lot of fun and really engaged the, um, our, our, our community. And um, so we've, we've uh, and we also have, um, you know, the, the uh, QR codes and other things, ways to connect with, with, with the art that, uh, that's on display. But I think it just, uh, I think you bring up a really good point that it, it's really ultimately about what your audience needs are and how you deploy these these tools to meet those needs. Well, who at your organization is responsible for technology? Uh, well, a little bit of everybody. And that's one of the challenges that we're facing is that you know the curator, uh, you know, if, if she's doing like a video piece or doing, uh, something that has uh, some tech aspect of it, she'll work on that. If uh, if it's uh, our educator, so we don't really have a, a a tech person. That's one of the one of the conversations we've had is like if we really want to utilize this, we need to have someone 
who who can um, who can take charge of this and really knows it and can um, and can do it right. And I think that's uh, that's uh, one thing we're looking at. Um, of course, with the museums of various sizes, you know, if you're a small smaller museum, it's it's you know you're trying to uh, hire people in different places and uh, you know you have you always have more need than you have uh, budget so um, that's something that we're really kind of struggling with we have we are part of a city uh, city department with the city of Springfield so we have the um, we have an IS department or an IT department that we can work with but a lot of times you know if it's something really specific to uh, an exhibit or or a, or an interpretive uh, device of some type. I mean, that's just we just have to kind of figure out who's going to do it, um, and it's kind of split up. And that I think that brings up another issue with museums and galleries. It's you know, do you have the infrastructure to support uh, all these uh, your technological aspirations? And I think that's a that's a tough question to to answer. Yeah, I think that that uh, that question of you know, we began with maybe, you know, do we have wall space? Do we have like a certain amount of space that we can put uh, paintings and photographs on? And then, you know, like, do we have the area and the budget to bring in sculpture work? And then what sort of tools do we need to bring in uh, technological works that sort of are representative of what's going on in contemporary art? Um, so things have sort of evolved. And even the last three years here, Things have changed significantly where um, I've been writing technology grants to get projectors and iPads, and but I was responsible for everything within the curation and the uh, technological uh, standpoint and trying to make sure that everything was maintained. And then last year, I wrote a grant for a virtual reality digital gallery, and the VR digital gallery is specifically for curated experiences that contextualize the exhibition. And after I did that, I realized, A, I needed to learn how to utilize VR because I wasn't really familiar with it. Um, but I knew that it might be a really good tool to utilize. And then um, after that, we hire student workers and I decided to hire a student worker specifically for the virtual reality who wanted to learn how to program and um, and keep it up, which is exciting because you give somebody the opportunity to utilize that te technology and to help you with your programming and you're not necessarily, you can oversee it. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, I don't know what would happen if I was responsible specifically for um, overseeing all the technology without having some support. Yeah, sometimes, you know, technology is supposed to be a la labor saving uh, right and sometimes it's, it's not uh the vr thing is really interesting and that's something that i find really intriguing and um uh, virtual reality and augmented reality i think are are two areas that um i think are just really fascinating and uh could do so much if uh, if done in the right way um so uh, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about what that uh, VR experience you were creating, what that was like, or what uh, how you went about uh, thinking that through and uh, and implementing it. 
Yeah, so it began as a campus-wide initiative to create a learning lab for all students, um, which we did. We ended up writing a grant to, to do that. But then I realized that re what I really wanted was virtual reality for my space because I went to this demo and as I put on the headset and I was uh, immersed completely, I started to run into people because uh, I was like walking around and I was completely lost in space. And I really enjoyed that experience of um, being out of place. And one thing that I, I recognized pretty fast was that our students are coming in from studying or from um, going to class. And so they're in a specific mentality. So how can I expect a transcendent experience when people are walking into the gallery and standing in front of an object without maybe a buffer? So what I decided to do was to use the virtual reality as a contextual buffer so that they can come in, they can um, go to this specific digital gallery, we can program a specific um, uh, event for them to experience, tell them how it works with the, with the exhibition, and then they go and they experience this thing, and then we invite them to go look at the work. And so maybe their mood has changed, maybe their understanding of the concept has been elevated, and um, we found it to be helpful. Uh, we've gotten 30% more people in the gallery door, and from all the surveys that we've done and all the feedback we've gotten, uh, it looks like they're understanding the content better than if they're just looking at the virtual reality by itself or the show by itself. Can you give an example of like what, like a show and ha like what was the experience and what was the, what was the exhibition? So yeah, we have two different virtual reality programs that we curate that go along with each show. We don't make these programs, we find them. Um, we're working on making programs, but um, here's an example. We had an exhibition by Betty LaDuke out of uh, Oregon, and she did a show called Social Justice Revisited, and it was 50 years of artwork responding to social justice issues. So it began in 1968, and uh, there were artworks about civil rights. So we curated an exhibition or a, a virtual reality program called I Am A Man, where you um, are, um, you put on the headset, they give you a little bit of contextual information, and then you look down at your hands and your hands are an African-American man's hands. And you look around and you see that there's a garbage can and there's a garbage truck and it tells you the story that you are going to be a part of a sanitation strike. So throughout this program, you go through different experiences, including these riots that are happening, including a protest. And at the very end, you see uh, Martin Luther King at his hotel standing on the balcony, and you know what's about to happen. So all of these cumulative experiences um, sort of contextualized what it felt like to be around in 1968, to be a different person with a different perspective, and then recognize maybe some of the connections between what was happening before and what's happening now. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting application of it, um, of that technology to, to really um, take you out of, uh, out of your current space and into to another uh, space. And I think that's what's, to me, that's what's most interesting about it. Um, 
because you know there's i think uh, with any any technology like this that can become very gimmicky and uh you know just like i like i had said earlier the the uh, the expectation is that you come in and you you uh, you know perhaps the visitor comes in as, and expects this sort of novel the, the novelty of it is going to be what really impresses them and uh what what it what uh is focused on right and i think uh, that because of the commercially available uh nature of virtual reality um, a lot of the administrators and a lot of people who were sort of coming in were thinking that they were going to play first-person shooter games or something like that. And they used this specific language like games. But what we have discussed with my students and how we communicate this is that we don't talk about them as games. We talk about them as experiences or programs. And so in changing the language of it, we change the, um, the way that this technology can be utilized. And so that people's first experience, much like a museum, um, may be positive because you've developed a specific uh, protocol for how they may navigate through it. Um, we want that to be the, the case with virtual reality, where um, we create a set of circumstances that are available that uh, can make people excited and realize that this is an engaging tool that they can learn from. And one thing I want to talk about is uh, this idea of sort of the modernist approach of the white cubed gallery and it being a sort of um, an anywhere, right? But when you start putting technology in a space and you start putting sounds and projector screens and things like that, um, you may change sort of the atmosphere of that traditional sort of like white cubed area. So do you think that technology is sort of disrupting that anywhere nature of a gallery or a museum? I I think I think it is, and I think it I think the challenge is that people come to, especially museums, uh, with with certain expectations and different audiences uh, view the space in different ways. So, I mean, I, I think technology does it, but I think it, you know anything does it, from a tour of uh, school kids to uh, to a fundraising event. I mean, like all of these things nowadays, museums are used for so many different purposes uh, that are that, that that go beyond just the um, well, that beyond just what that that sort of white cube, right? And um, so I think when visitors come in and um, and uh, you know there there are people you know looking at virtual reality or there's an augmented reality game happening. Uh, in the space, um, or you know, uh, even you know, very discreet sort of display uh, iPads or something that are that where people can uh, can uh, get information. I think I think all of it. I, I don't think there's any way to do it and not and not have it be disruptive. I think, but I think that's why you have to be very careful in kind of figuring out what your goals are and 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 deciding whether the, the use of whatever the technology is, is appropriate. Um, I, you know, I, I think the, um, I think the, the white cube idea is probably one that, uh, I, which is one that, that I was reading an article and I can't remember who, who it was that wrote it, but their, their point was that, um, 
that white cube idea isn't isn't that old of an idea. It's a fairly new idea, and it's probably one that will uh, evolve or disappear as 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 the environment changes. I guess. Yeah, there's this major shift, you know, with say Amazon or um, all these co- companies that there's not a necessarily a need for the brick and mortar anymore um, stores. Um, and things have just changed. I used to do downtown development and just recognizing how much uh, our commerce and the way that we interact in spaces have changed uh, over the last um, 20 years is really, really interesting. Um, but I wonder with people viewing artwork on a uh, on an iPad or even before they come to your exhibition, looking at it on an iPhone, um, if there is a specific place for that, which I'm sure that there is, but I guess my real question is, what does it do when you're looking at cat videos on the same thing that you're looking at uh, contemporary art? Yeah, that's a good question. That's kind of an interesting question. I think, um, well, first of all, I want to say that I think what we do as galleries and museums, it's it's really important, and objects are very important. And I, I think about this a lot because we have this little uh, uh, tomb figure from China. It's a, uh, it's over a thousand years old. It's from, like I said, from another the other side of the world. You know, it's there's something about being in the presence of this object that uh, that has has been around for so long, was made by somebody on another continent, and uh, you know that had its purpose and had its life. And, um, and there's something about interacting with that object. Or I think about like going to the you know, going to Washington, D.C. and seeing Abraham Lincoln's hat, you know, it's like there's something about standing in front of an object and, and, and interacting with the with an object that I think is important. And um, and I think that's why we do what we do. So I think the idea that um, that uh, that, you know, you can look at a look at a painting on your iPad, it's, you know, it's sort of the same thing as looking at the museum or uh, some virtual experience is the same as seeing an object. I I don't buy that. And I don't think anybody buys that. I don't think people, uh, you know, I think people come to the museum to see something, to see objects. I I think they still do. And I think they always will. But I do think, I do think what you're saying is really kind of interesting because for some people, the museum is is kind of a temple it's a sacred space it's a place where you can go and you can um and you can uh, uh take in these things and you can uh, uh be you, you know you can kind of unplug and um and you know there's there's a great value too though in someone going online learning about an object looking at it uh you know, on an iPad or, you know, on an, on another device and then coming in and experiencing it in person. And I think both experiences can, I, I think both experiences can be helpful, but I, I think that I have to believe, maybe I'm just uh, fooling myself because I've I'm committed, I, mean, I'm wor- I work at a museum, <laughs> but I have to believe that there's a real value in, uh, in, an irreplaceable value in in interacting with real objects in a real space. Um, so uh, 
and and I think that's where what when you start to think about what the role of technology is 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 there a is there a an appropriate response where you don't have anything where you make the conscious choice not to have some sort of uh, of of technology or media that you interpret these objects through and it's just you and the what you and the object essentially. Um, and I think those are the questions we have to kind of answer on an individual basis, uh, you know, object by object, exhibition by exhibition. Um, uh, I don't think there's a blanket answer, but I think it is interesting. And I don't, I've never really thought about that idea that the same thing I watch cat videos on is the same thing that I, you know, look at, look at, um, look at a painting on. Yeah, I don't know. And I, do, do you think people, do you think people make that? connection or do they or does the device just become this invisible thing um i think that eventually it all just sort of becomes ubiquitous um that you you see something and then you want to share it because you also have a phone and all the social media apps with the, in that thing and so maybe you feel like you're already sharing it um i think that there's a uh, an interconnectedness to it and i, I love that you that you're you're talking about the defense of an object, <laughs> which is something that, that you know that you're uh, defending the uh, sacredness of real objects instead of virtual objects or virtual or objects that just don't exist at all uh, within only they only exist within the, uh, the invisible space of the internet. So if you ever decide to go back, you should write your thesis on that. There you go. Well, the one other thing that comes up that's really interesting that's even further out there is is uh, when is how do you how do you interpret the objects that are sort of the internet the how do you deal with things that are sort of virtual objects i mean obviously artists are making those too you know so um you think of an object as a painting or a sculpture or a, you know or something like that but you know artists are work artists are always working on crazy things and they're, <laughs> they're always making it harder for everybody because <laughs> the minute you figure it out they come up with some other wacky thing that you have to preserve or con do conservation on or figure out how to interpret or whatever <laughs> so you know so there are artists that work in vr work in um in augmented reality work on in virtual spaces i mean so i think one of the i had a really interesting um experience so this isn't at this museum but in another museum i was at we had a um we had a, a, a video tape, like a VHS tape, which was um, a video that uh, by John Baldessari, right? And so we were gonna, we were gonna. First of all, every time you play a video tape, it kind of stretches it. You know, VHS tape, it kind of stretches it. So there were questions about, like, okay, well, how often can we play this? You know, because you know it, it diminishes the life of it every time you play it. So we were job as a museum is to preserve it right so we have to kind of figure that out and then if we play it what kind of like what kind of um you know obviously we need a vcr but then what kind of tv do we play it on do we play it on a, a period television or like so that i guess that i that's kind of sounds kind of like a silly thing to kind of worry about but i think it brings up uh, a lot some questions that are really kind of interesting about uh especially as time goes on and these technologies become sort of historic, how do you, how, how, are, how do you interpret them and how do you, 
show them and how do you how do you um or exhibit them and how do you um how do you make those decisions uh it's just kind of an interesting to think thing to think about so now technology isn't the thing that is you're you're connecting to an object with that technology is actually the the object you're contemplating so um well, that reminds me of the um uh, I think it's the window at Lagrasse, the the first photograph that's in Austin, Texas. And if I remember correctly, they put it in a a dark room, and you can't even really open the door to take a look at it because any light um, pollution will actually cause it to degrade even more. So it's this object which is historically relevant. Um, mainly because it was one of the first images and it is representative of the uh, merging technology of photography but the object can't even be seen anymore because it's can be degraded so much so what's the use in actually having that object if it can't be experienced anymore well yeah i mean i i think it just like it, I, I think at that point it just kind of depends on um on who who is going to to use it or interact with it, and and also there may be just value in having it. No, I, I, I also have to kind of be careful in that because I'm I, my background is in education and um and 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 being an artist and and that public interaction, but I also think you know objects can exist for their own sake and and are not. Their value isn't necessarily predicated by um, uh, who looks at them and their exhibition. I mean, you can have a collection that's never exhibited publicly. You can so I kind of have to remind myself of that. It's an interesting. I think we're getting off topic. We're starting. We're start going down. Well, a we're going back to the beginning of technology. Yeah. Yeah. So rock. So we had a rock. <laughs> so we had a, Grog had a rock, and uh, <laughs> that was well, the first so first museum exhibit in a cave. Well, well, as as we end this conversation, let's uh, um, let's just go back to one technology that we're really thankful for: podcasts, so people can listen to our beautiful voices. Um, but um, you know, one thing that I'm thankful for is uh, computers and printers. Um, I just can't imagine how laborious it was to make labels um, before the availability of these like consumer tools. Are there any like sort of tools that you are are incredibly thankful for in your museum uh, that have probably changed over the last hundred years that you take for granted but just have become a blessing in your everyday life? Uh, I think uh, there's a lot actually. I mean, you have everything from um, you know new technologies in in security and in conservation. I mean, you have just so many things that. And then I think, for me personally, I think um, the ability to be outside, to, to be a sort of outside of the office, you know, I can do my job in, in a lot of different locations, you know, I can, I, you know, I can travel and still be very connected to, um, you know, connected to email and other, other um, communication, forms of communication. I think, um, I think some of the just, and this is going to sound really uh, like not exciting at all, but you know, just some of the the business applications you can have you know, through uh, 
through, you know, like things like Evernote or OneNote or, you know, just things that are just these sort of things that would take, would, would add to the administrative cost of your, of your organization, but can be uh, handled through, you know, virtual assistants and things like that. The other thing that I think is really um, exciting and interesting is the use of AI in certain applications for, um, audience studies or um, development or other other things I think that there's uh, they're just there's there are a lot of opportunities for us to get really good at running our organizations by leveraging technology and the business side of it that provides more time more money more resources for the actual mission of your museum or your gallery not that that so I think I'm talking around in a circle, so I think that's really kind of what I'm thankful for, are all those wonderful labor-saving devices that, that make things run efficiently and you have more time and money and resources for mission, the mission. Well, one thing we'll do is we'll let our listeners decide whether or not the label or uh, having just general technology available so that, that uh, people can uh, actually um, pursue their mission uh, more efficiently. Uh, which one of those is the uh, the better? <laughs> you know, I think the labels will probably win that one. <laughs> I'll jump in and say thank you both so much. Uh, this was a really great conversation, and we appreciate your being on CAA Conversations. Well, thank, thank you. you.